Good morning. I'm so glad to be here. I love Christmas. Do you like Christmas? Especially at the beginning, like everybody's like just, just kind of happy and it hasn't gotten old and worn down yet. You know, the music, you're still enjoying it. The people who do Christmas music before Thanksgiving, though. Let's, let's see how many people. How many people enjoy Thanksgiving, or sorry, Christmas music before Thanksgiving? You people. You ruin it. By December 20th, it's like sick, sick, sick. It is, a, it, is a, <laughs> it is a season of wonder, but it's also a season of confusion and people trying to figure things out. I mean, it's, it's time where people are in need and, and they're, they're, they're desperate. I, I saw this week online uh, that desperation in a, one post, and I just thought I'd read it to you. It said, uh, Dear Santa, all I want is a fat bank account and a skinny body. <laughs> and then it said, Please don't mix it up again like last year. <laughs> we're kicking off. We're kicking off a new Christmas series called Carols. And I'm pretty excited about this because we're going to look at at Christmas carols that we know and love the kind of carols that you sing at Christmas parties and at church and when you go caroling. And uh, so if you need message notes, you can get them from the ushers. They are right here. Just raise your hand. They have notes and pens. But we're kicking off this series called Carols. And I think sometimes we sing these carols without really understanding what they mean. The deeper meaning. In fact, it, it, is, it is funny. Um, even though the songs are playing all through the season, sometimes when we sing them at church, I could see you like once a year, the first Sunday, we sing those Christmas carols. It's a lot of mush mouth singing, <laughs> a lot of watermelons, <laughs> you know, because those songs have a lot of words, but they have deep meaning. And so we're going to look at some of those. Today, we're going to look at one of my personal favorites, O Holy Night. Fantastic song, a classic Christmas song. So I'm going to read you some, some facts about this song. O Holy Night was written in the mid-1800s. A parish priest asked a French merchant and a poet, a French merchant poet, in a town that he lived in to write something from Luke chapter 2. That poet's name was Placide Capot. Not only was he, a, he was not a follower of Jesus, but this guy was a bit of a hellraiser, right? He was an avowed atheist. This guy was far from God. He did not attend church at all, but he was a great poet. And so, it's, tragically, his story is he lost his hand when he was eight years old in, an ac- in a gun accident, and so... There was no place for him in the family copper business. And so he took up literature and became a wine merchant since writing didn't always pay the bills. So in 1843, this French priest was looking to celebrate their recently renovated parish. So he asked his devout atheist wine merchant one-handed poet friend... 
You can't make this stuff up, people. He asked this friend to write a poem, a Christmas poem. Placide wrote this poem and loved it so much, he asked his friend to put it to music. Now, his friend was Adolphe Adam, and he wasn't a follower of Jesus either. The song became so popular that it spread throughout the Catholic Church everywhere, and not only in the Catholic Church, but all sorts of churches started singing this song. Then a few years in, people learned just who wrote the song and who wrote the music, and they started kind of throwing a little fit. Like, you got to shut this song down. Do you know who this was written by? Far too late. It was already, the ship had sailed. The song was already massively popular, just like it is today. Interestingly, five decades later, this song became famous for another reason. Reginald Fessenden, 33-year-old Canadian professor, did what others thought impossible. He made a makeshift generator in his garage and plugged a microphone into it. The broadcast, the, he, he broadcast the very first AM broadcast in the history of the world. The date was Christmas, 1906. He took Luke chapter 1 and read it into the microphone, this chapter starting with Luke 2, verse 1, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be tasked. And then he read the Christmas story, the whole thing of Luke 2. After that, he took his violin out and he played it into the microphone. The first song broadcast across the airwaves in the history of the world was O Holy Night.
Amazing, amazing. Thank you, Landon and Kirsty Ruiz. They're married. Isn't that cute? So sweet. I want you to imagine what that night was like. Most of you probably have a nativity set of some kind around your house or have seen one in stores. I, I know we have a, a little wooden one that I got in Bethlehem itself, and it was hand-carved, and, you know, baby Jesus is about this big, and he lays in a little manger, and his face looks all ruddy and weird because it's wood, but it's really a beautiful little set. And you, you, you sort of envision this night, and you see it, and you, you're like, okay, there's, there's Joseph and Mary, and there's Jesus, there's the shepherds, and the, the wise men are typically there, even though we know that the wise men weren't really there, okay, because they came later, two years later. And, and, and so this scene is there, and the, 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 the sheep are there, and the cattle are lowing, whatever that is, but they're lowing. And as they low, you just see this scene. And sadly, I think it does a disservice to what that night was really like. It does a disservice to what really happened on this night. Because the reality was a teenage girl that was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, right? And just pause for a minute. Let that sink into you, all you dads of teenage girls. You know, if my daughter came to me and said, no, dad, really, it was by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> no. There was a scandal in her family and she, with her likely teenage fiancé, traveled to Bethlehem 
on the back of a donkey, and they would have traveled about 80 to 120 miles, somewhere in there, and something like that. Now, listen, I drove Amy to the hospital in a Honda Accord, and it was not pleasant. But there's nothing like this trip where they're fine, they have no place to stay when they get there. They, they, they go to what many Bible scholars would believe is a, like a cave-like dwelling where the animals were protected by a shelter from the, from the weather. This young woman is giving birth in the worst environment imaginable. I mean, this, I mean I'm kind of a germaphobe guy, but this is totally, completely unsterile. This place is filthy. There are no epidurals here, ladies. No, there's nothing. This woman, this young woman is screaming in the pains of childbirth. It is rough. Joseph is there along with the screaming, trying to be helpful. They're alone. There's no angel hovering over them in this moment, bringing peace on earth. She's screaming is what's happening. Amy and I have five kids. And I was never particularly helpful at the births. <laughs> I tried different approaches. Like my first child, like I remember we got everything set up and it was just, you know, you don't know how long it's going to be. It was like 12 and a half hours of labor. I think maybe, maybe, two, maybe it was a little longer than that, 12 to 14 hours, somewhere in there, which isn't bad, but you know, you're just not sure. About six hours in, I'm like, I'm hungry. <laughs> I know, it was my first baby. I know, it was my first baby. I was like a dumb husband. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like I'm, I'm hungry. And so there was a little chocolate on the table. And I, so I kept sneaking over in between the... <laughs> Come on, it's, are you okay, babe? Is everything all right? And she was just like this the whole time. She was so, she was such a trooper. Like she was so, like no expression, just. <laughs> so I was like, am I helping? Am I, uh, I don't know. Anyway, so, so, so I, I, ever, I could sneak over and, and get some chocolate. What I didn't know is I was coming back and breathing my breath of chocolate on her. You know, just reminding her of what she can't, that like she can't just be normal right now. And so, so I had a, I had a video. <laughs> I had one of those, um, well, for all you young kids, there used to be this thing called the camcorder. <laughs> and, and, there, and I set up the camcorder on a little tripod, and, and about eight hours in, I'm like, she is never watching this. Nobody's going to watch this. We're turning it off. And it, it was funny. One of, the, one of our kids, I think it was Grace, our middle child, I, I, I found myself trying to really help her make a big push, you know, at the end. And I don't want to get too graphic here, but, but I had one, there was one leg, I had one leg, her legs in this hand, and, and she, my head was up here, and she had her arm around me, and she was like, you know, pushing, like bearing down, grunting and screaming, and I kid you not, this lasted quite a while, and she ended up with me in a major headlock. And I was like, I can't breathe. <laughs> I, was, I was screaming. I was the one screaming. It was just terrible. It was awful because birth is chaos. Birth is chaos. It's messy. It's horrible. It's awful. It's this awful thing. Panic. Screaming. This is what's happening in that little cave. 
This is how, this is what's happening in that little cave. Mary giving birth to the Son of God, Jesus himself. And, and if you think of it like that, then so far this night doesn't seem very holy. But this carol, O Holy Night, has a phrase that I want us to dig into because I believe that it is in those moments of chaos and the moment of the dark night of the soul where Jesus himself appears. You may not have thought about this line in the song too often. Each year you probably sing right over it. But I want to highlight it here today because you'll You'll remember it from this time on. There's, you'll come to the moment in this song and you'll see that line and it'll trigger a memory for you of us worshiping together here and learning what this is. The line is, a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. If there are two words that probably accurately describe our world, it's weary world. It's, don't you think this is just kind of like the way we all feel? There's an overwhelming sense of what's going on in our culture, in our society. The world is full of so much anxiety and worry. There's depression and loneliness that are rampant everywhere. It seems like the the, the third person you meet is dealing with some serious uh, physical ailment. Our nation is so divided. People just fight with each other sort of nonstop. Families are falling apart and struggling. It's almost like we're all just fighting to stay above water. It's like the, the, there's, a, there's a chaos around us that we're trying to figure out. In some way, we can all relate to this phrase, the weary world. But I love the phrase that comes right before it. It's a thrill of hope. Like that, just that, oh, a little gasp of hope, a thrill of hope. Imagine in the chaos of this darkest night, there's this thrill of hope. Those who put their faith in God had waited. The people of God had waited for this night to come where the Messiah would be born. They'd been waiting for it, looking towards it. Was this it? Maybe this is the Messiah. He was born in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And on that day, on that particular day, everything changed. Everything would be different forever. That's what happened. This carol carries and echoes that faith of hope that's come into the world. And suddenly the weary world does what? The weary world rejoices. I pray that if there's any weary world in you today, that you would find this hope, that you'd experience a thrill of hope, a gasp of, of the peace that God wants to bring you, the faith to rejoice why? Because even in the chaos of the night, there is a new and glorious morn that is coming. And don't just think about the night. I want you to think about what happens the next morning when the sun comes up, right? The Savior has been born. 
Don't just think about what happened to Mary and Joseph during that night, but the next morning, the sun rises and the Savior is born. And on that glorious morning, everything changed because one day with Jesus can change everything. One day with Jesus can change everything. I know, even me saying it is sort of like you're sitting there and you're like, maybe... Your weary world has you carrying such burdens. This song speaks to that burden. Let's dig in on this idea of a new and glorious morning. If we go back to the Old Testament, in the book of Lamentations in the year 586 B.C., we, we see that Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians and the people were distraught. The people of God were overwhelmed. The prophet Jeremiah was lamenting. He was hurting with everyone else, agonizing, grieving, almost whining. So he pours out his hurting heart in this text. And in chapter 3, there's this switch. He's, he's, he's going along in this book and he's lamenting. And then in chapter 3, there's a shift. There's like a moment. He moves from mourning to a moment of faith. Lamentations 3, 20 through 26, it says, I well remember them. He's talking about his people and how hard it's been on them. And my soul is downcast within me. Yet, this I call to mind. Would you just take your pen and underline that little phrase? I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope. It's amazing. He says, I'm going to call this to mind. It's there. I know it's there. It's not in the front of my mind right now. I got to call it to the front of my mind. It's going to bring, it's going to bring something to the forefront of my thinking and I'll remember this truth. Have you ever had to bring something to mind? And it clicks, click, 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 click. Can't remember, can't remember, can't remember, can't remember. The little brain's doing all its hard work and the synapses are putting them together. Oh, there it is. This is what Jeremiah is doing. I, he says, I will have hope when no one else does because I know this to be true. I'm calling this to mind in the midst of this dark time, therefore I have hope. Verse 22 says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for His compassions. Everybody say compassions. His, the, another translation says, His mercies, His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He says about God's compassions that they never fail. In fact, they are new every morning. Sometimes I do pray late in the day, God, I'm all out of the mercies. I'm all out of the compassions. Could you give me some more at night? But here's the good news. I know that the new ones are coming the next day. This is how we have to see life. He's talking about God. He's going through the process, but then he has to talk to God, and he says, great is your faithfulness. Verse 24 says, I say to myself, <laughs> self? <laughs> He's saying to himself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Sometimes you, you have to say it to yourself. Sometimes you have to become the best preacher you know. You have to preach to yourself. You have to say, self, I want to remind you of something. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will, I love this, this is kind of sad, a little sad reality check here. Therefore, I will, what, I have to wait? I don't want to wait. Nobody wants to wait. This is not a culture for waiting that we live in. But he says, 
The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. See, I think sometimes what happens is we, we go off on our own. We think, I don't, have a por- I don't have the portion, I don't have enough, I don't have what I need. And then we go off and do something and God is waiting. He's just sitting right there. Like, do you, I, I got some stuff here. Are you sure you want it? You can get your own stuff. I promise you. Choose God's stuff. It's way better than your stuff. Verse 25 says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him. To the one who seeks Him, it is good to wait quietly. There it is again. Quiet. I can't even wait noisy. I got to wait quietly. I got to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's good to wait. Let's just say that word with me. Say say that phrase with me. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's amazing what a day with Jesus can bring. I want us to see three truths that can bring the thrill of hope when your weary world is dark. I want you to see what a new day with Jesus can bring. Number one, a new day with Jesus can bring exactly what you need. Exactly what you need. Every new day with Jesus brings exactly what you need. I didn't say it'll bring what you want. I said it'll bring what you need. What you need and what you want sometimes are very different things. I want a BMW 5 Series 530i with the performance package. And a moonroof. What I need is a way to get around Austin without uh, losing my bank account. So I buy a Hyundai. Amy and I have always tried to be faithful with what God has given us. We are committed to the idea of tithing giving the first and best of what God has given us to Him through the local church. That has been a practice all throughout our lives. And the truth is, the truth is that's such a powerful practice. It's a powerful practice for you and your heart. It's a powerful practice for the church you belong to. Because if we all do that, if every one of us does that, there's no need we can't fill. There's no building we can't buy. There's no outreach we can't do. But here's what I want you to know is because we've lived that way, we haven't always had what we want, but we have always, 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 always had what we needed. Even when we took big risks, we have never gone without. We have always had what we needed. Lamentations 3.24 says, I say to myself, (laughs) there it is, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I'm going to wait for Him, for what He wants to do. Every now and then, you just have to say this to yourself. And the Lord is my portion. What does it mean? Some scholars believe it's referring to the Israelites, the people of God wandering in the desert, in the wilderness, and His provision of manna, what was called manna, every day. Manna means what is it? It was a, something from God. It would show up on the ground every morning. And they would collect it and then have enough for that day. Now, if they tried to save it, they tried to store it up, it would rot. They had to rely on God every day. Could I just encourage you? That's a story for you and me. 
The point is relying on God every day. And the truth is, you can only rely on God today. You can't rely on God for next week. It's not here yet. Right? Like, like that's coming. Like, you, like uh, this, and this is so funny because this is where all the fears are. The fears about, oh, I'm not going to make, oh, it's not going to happen. Oh, I don't know what's going to, I don't know, I don't know what's gonna, what I'm going to do. You can rely on him today. That they need, this is what God was teaching them, that they need him every single day. Jesus reinforced this in the New Testament when he taught his disciples. When he said, give us today our daily bread. That's what he taught in the Lord's Prayer. Now me, I, I prefer monthly bread. Or really what I like is annual bread. If I could get annual bread and then I, I, you know, then I feel better. But God wants to teach me something. He wants to teach me to rely on Him every day. I can't rely on Him for yesterday. Right? It's gone. I rely on Him today. And here's the beautiful thing about God. He takes care of your wounded yesterdays. He forgives them and heals them. Right? You can't do anything about them, but He can. He looks out into your future and He's already there. I, he says, the, 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 Jeremiah in Lamentations, he says, I call this to mind and I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. He's exactly what I need. Here's the good news. God's already in tomorrow getting ready for you. You can't go there, but he can. You have to trust him today. God's there with everything you need tomorrow. Trust him tonight in the darkness. You can't see whether it's coming or not. You don't know. You're in that dark night. You're trying to figure it out. What are you going to do? If your marriage is struggling, God is in tomorrow waiting for you. He's what your marriage needs. If you're weak today, then God's strength is already in tomorrow waiting for you and ready for you. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. If you're down and lonely and depressed, God is in your tomorrow already with his provision. He's your joy. He's the lifter of your head. There is a new day. That's why the scripture speaks of weeping, remaining for a night, but joy comes in the morning. A new day with Jesus brings exactly what you need, what I need, because he is my portion. What I need is his presence in my life. What I need is his reality, not my reality, his re What I need is his strength. What I need is his power. What I need is his goodness. And so I say to myself, the Lord is my portion and I will wait for him. A new day with Jesus brings exactly what we need. Number two, a new day with Jesus brings you the hope to keep going. The hope to keep going. He is the thrill of hope in the weary world. It's the thrill of hope and faith when, we, when all we see is darkness. There's just that little moment where we see it. I remember during a very dark day in my life when our, our senior pastor of the church I was serving in had failed morally and 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 the church was just agonizing through the process and it was messy and it was awful and it was in the news and it was just terrible. And I remember, I remember thinking one time, oh, this is going to be over soon. And it was never soon. In fact, 13 months later, 
a man with a thousand rounds of ammunition walked into our church and shot people. We became one of those churches. And two girls lost their lives that day. I, I, I describe this season of life as our church as walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And I remember wanting the season to be done with, to be over, to be gone. But myself and many others who walked through that day had to hold on to hope, a, a little idea deep in our soul that Jesus was going to deliver us. That day came, and now I live in Austin, Texas. But we had to walk, but the night, the night seemed so long, and I know that's true for so many of you. You're in the middle of the chaos of the night. Verse 25 says, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. Seek Him in that darkness. Seek Him in that moment, in that struggle. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. The Lord is good to those who hope. In him, I've heard it said that you can't go without food for more than 40 days. You, you can't live, without, live longer than eight days without, without some water. You can't live beyond four minutes or so without oxygen. But you can't live even a minute without hope. One second without hope. Hope is so critical to the human soul. Too many people today are trying to survive in a hope-depraved deprived life. They're struggling to find places to put their hope. Actually, they're putting their hope in all the wrong places. The stock market is a risky place to put your hope. You put your hope in your company and you may be let down. You put your hope in another person and they may not come through for you. You put your hope in a certain outcome and you may not get what you actually thought. When we put our hope in the wrong places, we end up hopeless. Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold unswervingly. Oh, it's a great word to say. Come on, it's a fun word to say. Say it with me. Unswervingly. We hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful is what it says. That's a great picture. Grab a hold of this for your life. Grab a hold of the hope that we profess and don't ever let go. Don't ever let go because he is faithful who has promised. The trouble today is too many are letting go of the hope that we profess and instead we're grabbing onto fear and anxiety and the darkness of the night and that stuff will drag you off the road of life. It will, it will swerve you off this side and that side and you'll go off in this ditch and then you'll go off in that ditch and what you need to hold, do is hold on to the hope we profess and let Jesus lead you down the middle of that road of life. We hold on to hope unswervingly. It keeps us moving in the right direction. We need to do ex the exact opposite of going all over the place, back and forth. Let go of fear. Let go of anxiety. Let go of stress. Let go of panic. Let go of doubt and hold on to the hope that we profess. Don't ever lose hope because it's what a new day with Jesus can always bring. A new day with Jesus can always bring hope. I've, listen, I, as a pastor, I've seen person after person after person give up right before dawn. 
I've just seen it over and over again. People give, give up. They're in a long, hard journey. They're in a struggle in their life or their career or in their marriage, and they just, they just get to a point, and they, they totally give it up. But I'm convinced, people, all you have to do is do the right thing one more day. That's all that's asked of you. That's it. There is nothing more throughout the entire Bible. There is nothing more that Jesus wants from you than just look to him for one day. Look to him for one day. And when the night is at its darkest, look to him because the sun is coming. Don't give up right before dawn breaks. Don't give up right in the darkness. Hold on to the hope that we profess. Don't give up. Don't cash it in. Don't quit. It may be dark for a while, but it won't last forever. There's a, there's a new day that's coming, and it's amazing what a new day with Jesus can bring. Number three, a new day with Jesus brings you the help you're seeking, the help. Verse 26, we've read it a couple times now. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes there is no other option. You just have to wait quietly. Some of you need the salvation of your soul literally here today. You need to be rescued and forgiven. Others of you need to be rescued out of a situation or circumstances. And in the New Testament, a friend of Jesus named Lazarus had been dead for four days. The, the King James Bible says that he stinketh. <laughs> he, was, he was long over. You know, you're good and dead when you stinketh. And he, he, his hope was gone. He was never coming out. Jesus shows up and tells him to move the stone, looks into the grave and says, Lazarus, get up, come out here. And he did. Lazarus walks out to the amazement of all. I bet you that Lazarus would say, it's amazing the a difference a day with Jesus can make. There was a woman who suffered with an issue of blood for 12 years. Imagine the pain, the embarrassment, the humiliation. This condition of this woman, the torture, the private suffering, every day hoping this will be the day. Am I just stuck with this? Am I just going to be sick with this the rest of my life? One day, Jesus is passing by and she touches the hem of his garment. She, she gets to where he is. She has to fight the crowds. Jesus says, wait a minute, somebody touched me. His disciples are all around. He's like, what are you talking about? You're in a crowd of people. He's like, no, something has happened. And this woman touched him and was instantly healed after 12 long years. She would tell you, you can't describe the difference one day with Jesus can make. Another man was unable to walk from birth about 38 years. He was at the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus walked up and said, pick up your mat and walk. After 38 years of being unable to walk, this man walks. He would tell you it's amazing what one day with Jesus will do for your life. Some of you are in the worry, weary world, and you're worried you're in the weary world right now, and I'm telling you there's a thrill of hope that God wants to bring into your heart that will make your weary world rejoice. And no matter where you are, if you're in the middle of this night, 
where there's screaming and there's no epidurals and there's, there's the cows are lowing. <laughs> You're in the middle of the weary world, the darkest night. Because Jesus is here, you can have hope in the middle of the night. Because a new day with Jesus brings exactly what you need. It may not be exactly what you want, but it's exactly what you need. And a new day with Jesus can give you the hope to keep going. And a new day with Jesus can bring you the help that you're seeking. Look at Romans 13. It says, verse 11, and do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than it was than when we first believed. Verse 12, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The night is nearly over, and the day is almost here. I want you to say that with me. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. We're going to come to the Lord's table right now, and so I just want you to Put your stuff to the side, and we're going to take a moment. And I want to speak to two people, two kinds of people that are in the room right now. Some of you, you are in a hopeless situation. You're in very dark and dreary situations, and, and you, need, you need Jesus to bring hope to you. I want you to come to this table with the realization that he's ready. He's willing. And some of you, the second group of people, I, I, I feel like there's some people in the room who you're not really connected to Jesus. Like you know about him, but you don't know how to rely on him in the dark moments because you don't know him. I mean, think about this. Think about this. The guy who wrote the song wasn't a follower of Jesus at all. That means you can know the story of Christmas without knowing the Savior of the world. You can know the story without the Savior. If you know the story but you don't know the Savior, I want you to come. And in this moment, I want you to be willing to give your heart to Him. I want to introduce Him to you. He's an amazing, amazing person. He has hope, He has healing. Is peace. Choose this day to be with Him. This table that we're coming to, it's the Lord's table. It's, the bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken for our healing, for our deliverance. The, the cup represents the blood of Jesus shed on a cross where Jesus took on the entire sin of the whole world, your sin, my sin, everyone's sin. He took it on Himself this was the purpose for which he came. Came so that you could be forgiven, so you could be healed of your yesterdays. This is what's at the table. Would you come to this table? We practice what's called open communion at one chapel. That means it's not about a church. It's not about the relationship you have with the church. It's about a relationship you have with God. If you want to follow Jesus, would you come? We're going to go row by row, and if you, I don't want you to feel pressured in any way. If you feel uncomfortable don't feel pressure. Just walk through the line and you can skip the station as you go by. It's okay. We don't want anyone to feel pressured into this kind of thing. But Jesus set this table for you and he's calling you. So Father, we come to this table 
and we want to fellowship with you. We want to have communion with you. Would you show us who you are? Would you give, would you offer a thrill of hope as we come to this moment? Would you offer your life and breath, healing and wholeness, forgiveness, and the mystery of wonder and and hope that you can give to our lives. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.